Pickaxe. Hello and welcome back to the Review of Death, your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I am Matthew Toffolo and I am joined as ever by Billy Garrett-John. Say hello, Billy. Hello, how are we all doing on this fine Thursday? Oh Christ, I was like, no, it's not, it's Monday. <laughs> It's time travel, broken, Matt. Do try to keep up, dear. I've broken the illusion. I'm so sorry. Um, no, yes, I, know. I am. I am very good on this Thursday. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Um, yes, I'm well. Uh, for those of you listening at home, you will hear that I sound a little bit different than normal, uh, and people watching will notice that I look a bit different than normal because the Yogscast studio is being redecorated, so we can't record there. So I'm at home. Uh, surrounded by a menagerie of monsters uh, and my brother. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, <laughs> one and we'll the same, one and goes. the same, Matthew. One and the same, it's true, it's true. So we'll see how this goes. So um, we might do this again. We're not sure yet. This is all... Well, look, how many other podcasts have a full-size Cyberman and a TARDIS Randall and a Davros mask on well, display? Come that's on. true, isn't it? And if I move into shot, I look like uh, I'm a holy person. With a halo behind me. <laughs> you are a holy person. You're a holy summon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Talking of holy things, let us talk about the news um, and various things, what may have happened in the past week. Maybe yeah. some stuff's going to happen in the immediate aftermath of this podcast coming out. I can only assume that's the case um, yeah. because Comic-Con is this weekend. And although we don't have any panels because... There is a writer's strike and an actor's strike currently on in the United States. Uh, thankfully, Doctor Who wrapped uh, just before everything kicked off, but it has interrupted yeah. Shuti Gatwa's Barbie press tour. So um, he is no longer part of that and decided to have a day at Wimbledon in a lovely kilt. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a result, uh, yeah, there's going to be a reduced presence at Comic-Con. I wasn't really expecting anything at Comic-Con this year either. Um, so It's a shame, really, because all of the other things announced that they weren't doing Comic-Con. Like Marvel said, we're not going to be there. Warner Brothers said, we're not going to be there. Uh, anyone who is anyone wasn't going to be there. And yeah. I thought, oh, this is this is Doctor Who's time to shine. They can take the take the limelight. But then they decided, no, we're not going to be there either. So what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Season 20, the collection set. That's definitely happening, oh. uh, which is fantastic. They, Finally. Did the BBC buckle under the pressure of Ian Levine? Yeah, they were like, on about oh, yeah. look, you know, ugh, Ian Levine's got enough secrets to, uh, to bring that corporation down, so he says. Uh, oh, so I'm right. sure he just waved his uh, his diaries in their face and they went, all right, Ian, we'll release season 20 and whatever else you want to come out next. I was hoping he was just going to say, I'm going to turn up at BBC Studios, just blaring Doctor in Distress out uh, on a With loop. a hammer and a smashed CRT telly. Yeah. That yeah. would scare anybody into releasing <laughs> a box set. Um, so we have got, I mean, it was really, it was announced with a fantastic narrative trailer. Um, it was superb. With Janet and Sarah. I think that's my favourite one so far. I just think it was Definitely. shot so beautifully. And then to have the twist with the Mara in it as well. Yeah. You know, that was I, so unexpected, that bit. I thought that was really great. brilliant. So I was, well done. I was waiting for Peter to turn up, but because he's got his costume now. And I thought, well, we might, you know, bring in a little appearance, but he didn't. I think that these 
trailers probably are at their best when they don't feature the Doctor or like when they just sort of vaguely allude to him being yeah. there, like the one with Ace, the Charitable yes. Earth one. Um, and, uh, you know, the Colin one was fun, but he wasn't strictly playing the sixth Doctor. It was sort no. of a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Like the um, the Concord one for season 19. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I yeah, this this is where, you know, they've kind of reached their peak so far, I think, is with this yeah. sort of little side story. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic trailer. Uh, loads of stuff is going to be in that set. It's the most stacked set that we have seen so far. What is it? Seven it's discs or something mad. Nine um, discs. And nine discs. Crazy. Um, yeah. With a brand new edition of The Five Doctors, the 40th anniversary special edition, which we... We haven't got uh, to watch it again, to, <laughs> <laughs> um, With a brand new obelisk, Matt. It looks yeah. really um, obelisky. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks cool. I think it's uh, a nice way of honouring the original whilst yep. keeping it up to date. Absolutely. That'll do. I think it, it, it's, um, it's, it's yeah, better so updated than effects on the five Mr. Doctors. Whippy's ice cream. Yeah, they've got rid of Mr. Whippy's ice cream, sadly. Um, but we've got a Dolby Atmos mix of the five Doctors, which I'm sure will sound lovely to the three people in the fandom that have a Dolby Atmos sound <laughs> yeah. system. Um, and a new commentary with Peter, Janet and Mark. So look forward to them taking pot shots at the TV show that made them. Um, a uh, European road trip to Amsterdamage with uh, yeah. Peter, Janet and Sarah, which will be... Lots of fun. I think that'll that probably be a highlight of that set in terms of that the special features. Really um, long leak convention footage, uh, mm. hitherto unseen, which will be really cool. Um, yep. And of course, the centerpiece to any collection set in my eyes, hours and hours of studio footage from the studio floor, most importantly, as well as being from Ark of Infinity, Snore, although we actually quite liked Ark of Infinity when we reviewed it. We enjoyed um, it. it was snake hot. Dance, yep. Mild Snore. Um <sighs> We have got hours of studio footage from the five doctors. So we get yeah. to see, you know, John pushing people around. So he gets, you know, in the shot, in the best angle and yeah. arguing with Pat about Pat not doing his lines properly. So that will be great. Yeah. Pissy John. Uh, that's what we want to see. Um, so yeah, that'll be fabulous. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Anything else that I've missed from that that you're looking forward to? Or, or, or you know, we knew uh, season 20 was going to be the next one. So yeah, I suppose now, yeah, as petulant um, Doctor Who fans, we ask, you know, which one next? do we want next? <laughs> yeah, um, I can't think of what else is on that set. Uh, there's Making of the King's Demons, isn't there? Um, which will obviously be far more entertaining than the King's Demons. That, probably um, longer than the King's Demons. True. Um, but I'm not sure what else. I mean, there's all the sort of archive stuff of then being interviewed and all those things that we haven't seen because we weren't there. Yeah. So that's always good And fun. that'll be interesting because it's obviously the 20th anniversary yeah. when they're doing all that stuff. So it'd be cool to see all the appearances on Wogan and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to the long leap footage because, you know, that's like Doctor Who's Woodstock. Um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess, you know, the 50th anniversary was not quite that um, so. No, people aren't going to be making documentaries about it unless they're complaining about how <coughs> difficult it was to get an autograph ticket yeah. um, or just how to generally navigate. I remember people complaining about the queues getting into the um, that the big main convention hall where they were doing all the talks. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
because I think I went on the Friday, which was the first day, and yeah. they just hadn't got their head around how to manage it. Um, yeah. and, but they had fans sort of kind of not running it, but they had fans that we know who were kind oh, of yeah. on the floor doing a lot of the um, ushering people around, and ushering yeah. and stuff. That's it. Shepherding yeah. with their big sonic crooks. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so Get in there, Jeffrey Beavers, come on, you will <laughs> sign these autographs. Yeah, I've got anything better to do. Um, so yeah, uh, it will be um, it will be nice to to see the the long leap footage, won't it? Um, yeah, that'd be cool. and so are we thinking maybe it will be a sixties series next, black and white next? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's been a while since they've done a, t- uh, a Tom. And but there's plenty of, of Toms to get through. I you know, know, but I, I feel like for a time it felt like they were at least doing one Tom a year and mm. that has sort of fallen by the wayside. So I don't know, maybe a Tom or maybe a Pat because Pat seems long overdue. Yeah, he is conspicuous by his absence now. Um, yeah. So it would be nice to As see are his episodes. <laughs> As are most of the stories that he made. But again, <laughs> you know, if I was if I was sitting in my, you know, I wouldn't say ivory tower because it is the BBC at the end of the day. If I was sitting in my cardboard tower at yeah. BBC Studios and I was responsible for that range, I would probably have thought from the start, maybe we keep off doing the 60s ones until near the end because A, I think it's only the deep, collectors that are going to want that stuff anyway yeah um because so much of that era appears to be impenetrable for the fan base yeah um and also it allows you time to see if anything turns up because otherwise we're going to have to get a revisitations collection set or um you know something that kind of mops up any bits that have risen to the surface after the fact yeah so maybe maybe you wait until until all that's happened yeah, that's my issue with them having released season two because I'm like, oh, what if what if those two episodes of the Crusade turn up? What happens then? <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess I could just buy the Crusade when they eventually release it on Blu-ray and stick those discs in the box. But well, yeah, they could do that. I remember when I've I'm sure I've mentioned this before when the Bond fifty Blu-ray yeah. set came out that had those beautiful books. Um, they had a space at the back for Skyfall, which hadn't come out yet, and yeah. so I put the the Blu-ray for Skyfall in the back. I mean, it didn't line up visually with the rest of the discs, but that's, no. you know, me being a freak, yeah. uh, being upset about that. Um, yeah. So they could do something like that. It's not out of the question that they release a disc separately. Is season three just going to be an empty box? Yeah, and there's a, at some point you might get discs for this. <laughs> if not, then, you know, please at least recycle the box. Yeah. Don't chuck it straight out. Yeah. But um, I mean, we're Doctor Who so, collectors yeah. and we want a full shelf of stuff. So even if it was an empty yeah. box, I think we'd be happy just to be able to say, well, at least it looks complete on the shelf. Yes. And, you know, fine. I don't mind paying 45 quid for an empty box because <laughs> yeah. one day they might just give me the shit for free. Who knows? <laughs> um, okay. So there's that covered. Production on Series 14 is wrapped, which yeah. uh, we covered earlier. The wrap party looked amazing. Incidentally, um, yep. the Barbie Tardis, the Barbis landed oh, yeah, the Barbis. on London's, uh, I don't know what you call it, Thames side, yeah. um, the, somewhere near the water. Um, and it looked rather glorious. Um, really people cool. who managed to get down there. I mean, what a mental idea, Luke. I don't, I can't believe that they managed to pull that off <laughs> or that that was even conceived in the first place, but you know, fair fucks. I mean, yeah. is it is um 
is Barbie Sony by any chance? Um. Oh, I. I don't know. I don't think it I is. I wonder. No. No, I've got a funny feeling it might be Warner. Or maybe I've because I guess totally they wrong. would have known when Shooty was doing his press junkets anyway, and that he would have been at the London premiere. Yeah, but um, I mean, Sony have got a stake in Bad Wolf, so if they are, you know, yeah, making I mean, it Barbie, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, so that was pretty glorious. Um, kind of totally out of left field. Uh, target novelizations for the 60th anniversary specials, Matt. I know, nuts. So cool. Unbelievable. I mean, it's it's a really neat idea. Um, yeah. I suppose it's only disappointing that we're getting them in the 61st anniversary year rather yeah. than the 60th because they're coming out in 2024. Um, but they are expanded. They include bits of the specials that have been cut, either yep. cut dialogue or cut sequences or ideas that were left on Russell's desk. Um, so that's really cool um, and a really interesting selection of writers doing it as well. Yeah, really cool. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do we think maybe this could be something moving forward where they're like, well, maybe when series 14 drops, we'll have mm. target novels of those stories coming out? Because there's less episodes, isn't it now? There's only eight episodes a year, nine with the spe- special. So I maybe- can see them maybe doing one or two from mm. that series. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to still have gaps filled from previous Doctors. Um, yeah. And that might be in lieu, I suppose, of original books featuring yeah. um, the TARDIS team that we're going to get for season 14, series 14. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to, to think that we'll still get those kinds of stone rows and yeah. um, all that stuff. You know, it would be nice to yeah. have that strand because that was always fun. Mm. Um, and... Brand new photo of Shooty in costume, which I think yes. dropped just after we recorded last time out. Yeah. Um, and in his Rolling Stone interview, not only did he call the third Doctor a slut, which of course we've known for years, yes. but um, he is also alluding to doing at least two years on the show and then wanting to go back onto the stage to tread yeah. the boards or that shouting in the night or whatever shouting at night as pat said yeah shouting at night um so i mean it would be disappointing to see shooty do it for two years because what we'd get 16 episodes out of him um minus any specials yeah if they did eight episodes for each season but equally i I sort of resigned myself i mean this is i mean we're immediately uh, you know believing that he's not going to do it for more than two years but Typical I kind Doctor of Who resigned fans, myself. As soon as they're cast, yeah, we're always yeah. like, oh, they're going. They're going to be going. Of course they are. Of course they are. Who's I, next? I, I'd sort of... <laughs> well, yeah, which which collection sets out next and which Doctor's taking over from shooting next? We have to know now. <laughs> David, tell um, them probably. I, I think I'd always kind of thought... <laughs> I, I sort of thought he may not do um, more, than, more than a year or, uh, or two on the show, to be honest. Um, I just mm. think he's such hot property. I think yeah. that so few actors have come into the part where their career is already going like that. Yeah. You know, Matt Smith was an emerging face at that level of television in the UK at the time, whereas yeah. Shooty has already surpassed that and is already known around the world. Yes. So he'll be in demand and he'll probably want to do more films. And as he says, he'll want to do more theatre, which takes up a huge chunk of time. 
Yeah. Um, I suppose with theatre, it's a bit more flexible with getting in somebody to do a couple of weeks here and there so he could still film the show. But you also don't want to burn him out either. No. So I wonder, yeah, is it, you know, is, is he going to be two and done? Um, mm. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I hope not. Hopefully it will just be that he has a little break period before they go filming again. But um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it's a way off, you yeah? We a, haven't even seen David Tennant's I, second go. I know. I know, I know. We've still got a whole other Doctor between now and Shooty appearing on screen for the first time. So, Bonkers. like I said, classic Doctor Who fans being daft. Right yeah. then. So, today, Matthew, we are talking about probably one of the most important episodes in the history of Doctor Who. Uh, it involves a certain man in a chair whose disembodied head is currently sat on your desk like the ending of some sick twisted black mirror episode um i'm also holding a talking, chris achilles uh illustration on looks, the mug. <laughs> i was gonna say it looks gorgeous it's a beautiful mug that um i love the fact though that we were saying before when we were designing the set for the studio it's like we have just predominantly got classic series stuff on yeah. show and now yeah. going to your house, it's even more just classic stuff. Hey, I mean, I've got the 12th Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver and the 13th Doctor's. Come on, that's that's new series. Have you got any more than that? No. Oh, no, I've got 10th no. Doctor's. There we are. There we are. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Um, okay, so written by Terry Nation, directed by David Maloney. Matt. Now- uh, answer oh, me on. this. Answer me this because I got a question already. Because someone says, Ooh. "Oh, are we going to bring up uh, the big finish thing?" What's Dar- the big finish thing? The Genesis of the Daleks that wasn't Genesis of the Daleks. Genesis- oh, Daleks, Genesis of Terror of yeah, yeah that. Um, now, from what I understand of that, episode mm. one is basically episode one of the TV show with a few little extra bits and a few a yeah. few slight differences and then the rest of the story is just Terry Nation's notes. So yeah, it's like his and it's like a narration of his outline. It's not yeah. like got anything else going on in terms of full cast audio and shit like that, I don't think. So did Terry Nation write the whole thing or was this a uh, Bob Holmes well, came in and did a bit yeah, I'm a bit confused by that. So, I mean, the the genesis of Genesis of the Daleks is kind of interesting anyway, because Terry basically submits a script to the production office for yeah. Tom's first series, but it's still being overseen, all these scripts still being overseen by Terence and Barry Letts, who are the outgoing producer and script editor. And so yeah. they get the script and they go, Terry, this is literally the same two stories that you submitted to us last time. It's not too far away from either planet of the Daleks or death to the Daleks. <laughs> we need something different. Um, how about you show us how the Daleks came about, which we'll get to anyway, because there's a few different versions of that story that Terry Nation's told in the past. Yeah. Um, and this is just one of them. Mm. Um, and he goes away and writes Genesis of the Daleks. Now, when the script is submitted, yeah. uh, Philip Hinchcliffe and Rob Holmes uh, are in situ as producer and script editor. And apparently they do make quite a few changes to bring the tone of the script more in line with what they have in store for series 13, season 13 and beyond. It's a bit darker and it's a bit grittier. But to be honest, I mean, that Genesis of Terror thing is a whole situation 
on its own. I mean, that is big finish. I think treating Doctor Who fans with a certain level of contempt, you will buy literally anything <laughs> at this stage. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's such a Terry Nation script, even down to the names of the characters. I don't know yes. how much of a hand Bob Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe actually had in yeah. this, to be completely honest. Um, but there are there are hallmarks in there. You know, there are a few more you know, kind of violent scenes. I certainly know that that opening sequence with the soldiers being cut down in the wasteland, Terry Nation yeah. was not happy with that. Oh, um, really? He thought he thought it was too scary for kids. And he kind of, he didn't join Mary Whitehouse on the picket line, but he did sort yeah. of echo her sentiments that that was maybe a bit too strong. Interesting. Okay. Ah. Because I've put in my things, you know, that opening just immediately sets the tone for how oh, it's bleak brilliant. and just grim this story is going to be. It's fantastic. And it's great because, you know, you, you when you first see that opening, you think, oh, okay, this is going to be some sort of a historical, it's going to be a First World War story or something like that. Uh, and then for it to suddenly progress that you're like, wait, hang on a minute, these soldiers have... Uh, you know, they've got rifles, but they're using Geiger mm. counters and they've got all this mi mishmash of technology, which is such a fantastic idea that this war yeah. has gone on for so long that this war of attrition has just, you know, completely destroyed their technological advancements. It's so clever. It's so well thought out. I think the thing for me, you know, beyond that opening sequence, because I, the first 10 minutes of this story, I think, are peerless Doctor Who. Everything... Yeah. I suppose including, but up to the first studio sequence where they go into the Khaled trenches. Yeah. Um, is just masterfully paced. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like padding, even though not an awful lot happens in that first 10 minutes. But it's all about, as you say, setting the tone, setting yeah. the scene. And even if you didn't see anything else from the wastelands for the rest of the story and you were confined to the bunker, yeah. um, it would be very claustrophobic. But you fully believe that the Daleks have been born out of this place, out of this yeah. conflict. You yeah. know, um, there is no questioning that at all. This scarred yeah. uh, relic of a planet that yeah. has been in this war of attrition for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. And it's it makes sense, doesn't just it? You know, a, a, hateful, a hateful species coming mm. out of a, a hateful planet. Yeah. Precisely, love, exactly. I love the way that, you know, previous uh tellings of the, the you know the dalek origin story is that oh you know the thals were always the goodies but in this mm. you know they are presented just as horrible uh and sadistic as the thals are um absolutely you know, the line is very blurred which i think is ever so clever uh you know you just have to think about that stuff when um sarah jane's climbing up the scaffolding and that mm. false soldier dangles us over, dangles her over the edge, and even the the treatment of the prisoners generally, just like, well, we're just going to use you until the radiation exactly. just kills you. Um, until dystronic <laughs> toxemia, which I think is probably the best name for a band ever. And if there isn't a band <laughs> out there called dystronic toxemia, there needs to be one pretty quick. Absolutely, there you are. that's what you I can do. I noticed in, <laughs> down, down under. <laughs> In my in my spare time between work, I'll form a band called Distronic yeah. Toxemia, and we will just make songs about Genesis of the Daleks. Um, Can you say I at the end, we've been Distronic Toxemia 
and you've been exterminated. Good night. <laughs> That's a great idea. Um, yeah. Oh, I'll do a tune about de- called "Dead Before They Hit the Ground." How about that? That'll that'll be a good. Nice, that'll be a nice. good rocker. Um, um, what else could you do? Um, uh, who'd be a muto? <laughs> who'd be a muto? Uh, love in da- Davros's chariot. You could have a nice little tune yeah. there about Nida and Davros getting to know each yeah. other at university. Maybe they experiment with some substances. Maybe they experiment with each other. Maybe that's why they get to know each other so well and have such a tight bond. <laughs> Who knows? Um, there's a lot you can do in a chair. Um, now, <laughs> I think that you're right. I hadn't noticed how sadistic the Thals actually are because they're yeah. kind of presented more like grunts in this, more more so than the Khaleds. Like the Khaleds yes. have got the elite and yeah. they've got this core of scientists who are working towards you know an ultimate end. Um, and the Thals just seem to be very effective soldiers. They don't Mm. have the same level of technology, uh, or, or, or science. Um, and you're right. That bit where the Thal dangles Sarah and you're just like, oh yeah, this lot are just as bad. I mean, they're not because they're not trying to, you know, wipe out every species (laughs) (laughs) on the planet with a neutronic bomb or whatever it is. Um, but also, like, their disdain for the Mutos is, is exactly the same. He calls Sarah a norm. One mm. of the Thal troopers calls Sarah a norm. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, yeah, yeah, everybody's a bastard in this story. Nobody comes out of it particularly well. Um, no. And, and, yeah. And, and the Mutos themselves, you know... <clears throat> They are, they're, they're, you know, there's a, there's a great thing there of, um, you know, just because, just because they're ugly doesn't mean they're evil, you know. It's been done a million mm. times, but it works. Uh, but of course, you still have the ones that really are just, you know, they've, these savages that are sca- scavenging yeah. around the planet. Uh, and it's a great idea to sort of think that, you know, it's not just, the Daleks aren't just the ultimate end of all of this shit, you know, there, there's so much more that's been going on. Uh, and obviously mm. Stephen Moffat um, adds to that, doesn't he, with those hand mine things um, in his Which are story. probably the only good addition to this whole thing. I yeah. mean, I mean, fair enough spinning an entire series opener out of one line. I mean, but it's <laughs> yeah. an important line. Do, do I yeah. have the right? Um, but... I mean, fuck me. We, we we should get back into that series and we should talk about that series opener because we probably Jesus should, shouldn't Christ. we? Especially now we're doing Genesis. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. This is the sequel to Genesis: The Daleks that nobody asked for and everybody hated. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, we. I mean, we've already just jumped straight into the story itself, but there is so much here to talk about. There is so yeah. much. There is so much story. There is so much narrative that i mean a lot of it is unspoken you know like all of these characters are so real you mm. know the, the the elite um they have characters in there that i remember the the names of still to this day yeah uh, and i've forgotten most of the names of the secondary and tertiary characters in jody whittaker and peter capaldi's era um, oh yeah for sure. disappear but yeah. ronson garman uh general know, Kravos, raven general raven all of these characters are so real and they yeah. are brought to life by such an exceptional cast. Yeah. Um, they're all brilliant and they've all got their own thing going on. You know, Ronson is sort of, he's the moral side of the elite that is mm-hmm. kind of a bit more, maybe yeah. a bit more cowardly is the wrong word, but he's certainly got a bit more of a perspective of, of what's going on here, you know, and Garmin, yeah. 
is um, the man in the uh, the military head yeah. of the head of the military that is kind of rebelling against Davros, and you've got all these really cool like bits of political intrigue and all these moving pieces and stuff. It's just it's so exceptionally told for a story that deep in political intrigue for an audience of children. Yeah. You know, it's still it doesn't treat anybody like idiots. Um, it just sort of tells the story as it is. Well, this is it. This is exactly what I've put in my notes, is that the reason why it works so well is that everyone is, you know, they're very committed to the story mm. that they're telling. You know, it's not like one of those things where you sort of think, oh, well, that person isn't giving it their all, but they are. They're yeah. all doing it, you know, on all levels. It's not just the actors, you know, it's there in the script. The direction is there. The set design is there. The music, I mean, the score is one of Dudley's best scores, I think. Yeah. You know, it really just adds to the whole thing. Um, yeah, and these characters are amazing. Like, you know, General Raven at the beginning, he's got that real, you know, we know that it's an allegory for Nazism straight away yeah. because, you know, He's he's there, fo- basically foaming at the mouth, ranting and raving about oh yeah. Davros is bloody brilliant and he's gonna wipe them out and this and that and that you know and you've got poor Tom you know rolling his eyes almost like okay <laughs> ah but um, yeah it's just it's just so good it's just such a just such a, a real environment you know it mm. doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like oh we're in a studio on TV in TV Center um, like some alien planets are. Uh, because I guess it's all set underground and it's all in bunkers, the studio setting really works. I think that's because the lighting has just been done to such a high level in this story. Yeah. You know, Doctor Who often gets blasted <clears throat> for its game show lighting and studio sequences. See yep. um, Warriors of the Deep, for example. That story yep. could have been made so much more dramatic and so much more visually interesting if they had just turned the lights down or they had done what Duncan Bryan has done here, the lighting um, director, which is leave huge parts of the set just completely dark and yeah. then have these these spots of light that people walk through. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some parts of this where you're kind of almost squinting through. I mean, yeah. I was watching a pretty bad quality version, certainly of, of part one. Um, and there are some bits of it where you're just kind of squinting through the darkness, but then that, leaves much more to your imagination you know those Mm. corridor sets aren't particularly i don't know what the right word is inspired in terms of their designs no um but it feels like a bunker the ceilings are all quite low you know of course all the lighting is artificial um it and and that adds to the world building because you can sort of imagine what other rooms are splitting off into those darkened corners and yeah and all that sort of stuff um the only bits of visual design that don't totally work for me, I think, are the exterior sets that they've done in the studio. Like when, uh, I mean, it's a great cliffhanger, but that cliffhanger to part one where Sarah sees Davros for the first time. And that is yeah. something else to mention as well, just very briefly. Davros, the way that Davros is referred to in the lead up to his appearance, he doesn't mm. really appear on screen fully until halfway through episode two. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When he comes in and addresses the elite and shows off the Dalek for the first time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Nida saying, well, Davros says there's no intelligent life on other planets. So either he is wrong or you are lying and Davros is never wrong about anything. Mm. You know, like that line of dialogue, bang, I just pulled it out yeah. of fucking nowhere. It's just so, ex- I've seen this story so yeah. many times. Um, but 
he's he's treated with such reverence you can't wait to see him man this davros character must be a big shot and then he yeah. finally does appear and he's and- this withered creature in this chariot and he's like yeah this dude this dude is the guy that you've been building up the whole time and it's like yeah and then michael wishes performance just carries it as soon as you hear that voice you're like oh shit yeah this this guy really does mean the business um Mm. and everybody's terrified of him as well everybody is scared of him even if they're kind of on the same or like there is they're closer to him in terms of superiority or rank within the elite or within the car-led military yeah they are all terrified of him and they well, all wear it. Well, that's it, isn't it? When the car-led leaders come to see him and say, look, you know, we've been discussing this and you, you have to shut down your experiments. You can tell that they're, they're, they know that this guy, he could just do anything. And, you know, we mm. might not even leave this place alive. Um, mm. But Davros is very clever because I love the way throughout the story he's just... He gives them everything they want. He gives them everything they want mm. just so they feel like, okay, well, we've got that control. Um, and then he just does these wonderful, quite theatrical stage asides. It feels quite like a, like a stage production yeah, because they absolutely. go off stage and then he turns to NIDA uh, or like to the audience and he's like, ha ha, you know, they think that they've got the upper hand, but so they're true. fools. It's so yeah. good. It's fantastic. Um, and I mean, like you said, when he's introduced, the way that that scene is lit, that he is mm. basically in shadow and all that you can see is the one eye and the the, the console on his chair. Oh, it's mm. just superb. It's really good. I think this has got some of the best interior lighting, sort of doubling yeah. exterior um, that Doctor Who's ever done because it's not just like in that sequence. There's the bit later on where like Tom and Betton are hiding from the Daleks yes. by the sandbags and you've got the Daleks gliding past and you've got that beautiful um, skyscape behind them, which is all mm. like blues and purples and stuff. It's superb. You never really see anything quite like that in Studio no. Doctor Who. And, and, and Terry uh, Maloney, is, uh, David Maloney, sorry, has definitely looked at this and gone, how do we shoot the Daleks? And he's gone, well, yeah. you shoot them low and yeah. you shoot them in shadow and you shoot their silhouettes and all this sort of stuff. And, and like yeah. that shot is just iconic. At, at yeah. Considering the fact they only have three working props in the mm. entire story, yeah. and the other Daleks are just uh, props that you can't operate, they yeah. make such good use out of them. Yeah. Um, you know, you only ever see one, maybe two Daleks talking at any one time, and only yeah. towards the end of the story do you see all three props being operated. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that, you know, uh, underneath that scene with Betan and the Fourth Doctor, you can hear people screaming and Daleks exterminating yeah. and blasting people in the background. Yeah. And you do feel like everything is kicked off, but you don't need thousands of CGI Daleks rampaging no. over the skies of London. You just need three props to be shot really well and the yeah. suggestion that there's others out there, you know. Um, but on on the design, like I was saying, the the only thing I, I it doesn't really work for me visually are those interior exterior sets like where we see Davros and the Dalek for the first time? Because yep. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to be. Is it like a bombed out house? Is it because it's all brickwork, isn't it? And um, Sarah's sort of peeking through. Yeah, and- it is. I guess so. It's it's a shame, really, that they. I mean, like I said, I mean, I love the way that that scene is lit, and obviously that scene has now become so iconic. But mm. I, I do. It's a shame, like especially in episode one, when you see them um, go to the the Khaled base for the first time, 
and all of the dead bodies uh, lined up mm. on the sandbags, which in itself is messed up. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's obviously taken from Terry Nation's experiences with, you know, the war and stuff. Um, you sort of think, oh, it's a shame that they couldn't have just shot that in the same quarry, you know. Yeah. They have just put up a mock doorway and just lined up some sandbags because it would have just looked... It would have been a beautiful cutoff point to just have had all the location stuff on location. Totally, totally. And then the studio stuff just limited to studio. Because it's only like another two minutes of screen time that they're in yeah. the trenches for anyway. Um, yeah. And I think that there is like quite a noticeable change, not only obviously in texture because you go from film to videotape, but also it goes from kind of daylight to nighttime very quickly. Yeah. Um, between those two sequences. And then you've got the gas attack and that's a smoke machine with a green light being shone through it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, that doesn't quite work. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter really because it's no. still dripping in that atmosphere that it's set up. And then you get yeah. that real visceral sudden attack yeah. of the, of the. I guess they're supposed to be Thals attacking the, Thals the Doctor are attacking. and yeah. Harry <clears throat> and Sarah in the trenches. And then they get gunned down by the Khaled troopers um yeah. and then you're you're into the story and sarah separated from them and, and all that kind of stuff and it, it kicks off um so we mentioned earlier that terry nations had a couple of cracks at telling the daleks uh story the genesis of the daleks uh so let's just go through a couple of do, do you know the other versions that he's told matt uh well obviously we've got the one in the daleks which is the yeah Neutronic war, the neutron bomb that mutated everybody. Uh, there's the the version in the comic, which mm -hmm. is Yarveling created the Dalek machine. Um, but is that the same thing that the the neutron bomb? I mean, it's pretty much off? the same thing. They were but developing a travel machine anyway, and they were yeah. developing a neutron bomb, but it's a meteor storm that detonates the neutron bomb. Um, yeah. And then they have to mutate <clears throat> themselves, or they get mutated by the radiation and go into the support machines. Um, other than that, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Well, there is one other. There is okay. one other. Uh, in the Radio Times Doctor Who special from 1973, yes. Terry Nation writes a short story called We Are the Daleks, right. in which he asserts that the Daleks' home planet is, in fact, Amaron, not Scarrow, and that the Daleks <laughs> evolved from future humans that were artificially transported to the planet and were involved in an experiment and then put into the tanks. So that's about a year before he writes this story. So Interesting. whether or not they were just, you know, Terry, look, they're, they're doing this thing, they're paying quite well. Can you just like, you know, write mm. something up really quickly? Don't really think about it too much. And he was like, well, it's not on the TV show, so I can kind of write whatever I want. And he yeah. just had that in mind. <clears throat> I don't know. But I mean, that's even contradicting A, his original story, which mm. by his own admission was a, you know, write it, take the money and run like a th thief into the night or yeah. you know he's 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 contradicting the comic book which he had a massive hand in the direction yeah. of yeah um, i mean that's kind of disputed it. about how much he did and how much uh, david whittaker did and yeah. how much the other artists on the comics did but it's pretty much i think most of terry nation's work that comic strip um 
So it's kind of bonkers that you don't have an established history. I mean, this is before, um, you know, obviously multiverses and canon oh, was a thing that people stuck yeah. to. Not that Doctor Who has ever stuck to its own canon. Um, no. But even within that small framework, nobody has decided, well, can we just figure out what the actual genesis of these characters is? Because we've kind mm. of seen it on screen, you know, 11, 12 years ago. But let's actually get what happened before our friends arrive on Scarrow. Um, and I suppose there is a bit of a, you know, mental juggling of facts you have to do to yes. connect Genesis to the Daleks. And when that takes place, you know, because that, that's yeah. 500 years after the events of Genesis, right? Uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, but like the, the neutron bomb hasn't gone off yet or have they already detonated it? And that's why it's a wasteland. But when was that supposed to have happened? Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, that's a very And then good how does point. destiny fit into all of that then? Because if the Daleks takes place 500 years later, and that, but then the Daleks come back to yeah. a subjugated Scaro and all the Thals are in, you know, labour camps, and yeah, then they yeah. find Davros in the bowels of the bunker again. You know, like, it's it's almost as confusing as unit dating, you know. I don't it know really where any is. of this stuff fits together. Uh, have you ever heard of the Time War? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of the Big Bang? Because that kind of resets <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, hey, look, you know, trying to make sense of this is utterly pointless, so I think we should just move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess... The, well, the, yeah, I don't know. Someone in the comments, if you if you have a better idea of how it all works, I'm sure there's a book somewhere yeah. where someone cleverer than us has sat down and really tried to make it all make sense. Um, make it make sense, please. Um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> okay, so something else I researched, Matt, because I, I was trying to work out when I first saw this story. Yeah. And... I remember seeing a lot of it on Doctor Who Night because um, they show quite yeah, a lot show. of clips from this story yeah. um, in the various documentaries, but they don't screen it as part of that evening. But no. I definitely remember watching it around that time. Yeah. And so I was going back and thinking, right, so when were the repeats on? When were the BBC Two repeats happening? And I found yeah. some interesting things about that. But then I was thinking, this has got to be one of the most reproduced Doctor Who stories in the history of the programme. In terms oh. of, you know, novelizations and then re-releases oh, sure. of all of those. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know. It was on um, so, LP as well, wasn't it? And on cassette, read by Tom. So it was, Matt. And so I have gone through and to the best of my knowledge, I have listed every single release of Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is going to blow your mind, right? So original broadcast, okay. 1975. Yeah. Novelization comes out the year afterwards which right. is then reprinted in 1991 and then in 2016. Yeah. Uh, the LP comes out in 1979, right. reissued on cassette in 1988. An yep. expanded version is released on CD in 2001, and the original vinyl is re-released in 2011. Right. Um, VHS, 1991, packaged with yep. the Sontaran experiment, yep. re-released in a Davros box set in 2001. Yeah. Repeats Omnibus Edition 1975 and 1982 mm -hmm. on BBC One. Then right. again repeated in its full form for BBC Choice in 1998. 
and okay. on BBC Two in 93 and 2000, which I think must have been the repeat that I watched for the first time. Yeah, so um, for me, it would have been, we had episode one taped off TV, the 1993 yeah. repeat. Mm-hmm. So I'd seen the, the first episode quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And then I think I eventually watched the rest of it uh possibly from UK Gold or maybe one of Jonathan's yep. friends let us borrow the VHS. Uh, but I definitely remember the repeat that you would have watched in 2000. Yeah. Now that repeat drew such low viewing figures that it was the repeat that ended the Doctor Who reruns on BBC Two. That was it. Wow. My God. That was, that was the end of Doctor Who repeats on BBC Two because Genesis scored such low viewing figures. My goodness, because um, that was quite an interesting thing, wasn't it? Because they start, the plan was to start with John and then the viewing yes. figures started to dip, so they shot straight over to Tom. And then well, they- apparently they shot straight to Tom because the quality of the existing Pertwee's was so bad that they oh, just went, oh, we're just going to have to skip straight on. And then, then they were like, yeah. well, let's go to the nearest Dalek story or whatever it was. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So then DVD, 2006, re-released yeah. with a special slip cover in 2007, then re-released in the limited edition Davros collection in 2007, then yeah. released with issue 31 of the DVD files in 2010, then released again as part of the Davros edition of the Monsters collection in 2013, packaged with the Stolen Earth Journey's End. Um, this is the one that right. I found really interesting. Audiobook, 2012 the Royal National Institute of Blind People have a version only available to the registered blind, which is narrated by Terry Malloy. Interesting. Uh, and then in okay. 2017, BBC Audio released their version uh, narrated by John Colshaw, Nicholas Briggs doing the Dalek voices, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, um, <laughs> which is then re-released in 2020 as part of the Dalek collection. Yeah. Theatrical release, Matt. 2018, to promote the season 12 collection set, the omnibus version is screened in cinemas in the US in a wow. double feature with In Conversation with Tom Baker. Nice. Digital, obviously available via BritBox in the UK, US, Canada, not New Zealand though, um, and bundled <laughs> with other fourth Doctor stories on iTunes as the best of Tom Baker. Can you guess the other three episodes in that iTunes bundle, Matt? The best of Tom Baker. Pyramids of Mars. No. Bollocks. Deadly Assassin. <laughs> yes. Wang Chiang. Yep. And The Hand of Fear, weirdly. Oh, um, okay. And then finally, 2018 Blu-ray repackaged, because they have to repackage everything with Genesis of the Daleks, in 2020 in the Time Lord Victorious Road to the Dark Time set. Oh, yeah. So I think probably this is the most repackaged, resold, reissued Doctor Who story in history. I can't think of anything else, maybe other than the five Doctors, that comes close to this. Sharda's trying. Sharda's having a good go. (laughs) Sharda is maybe number two, maybe number three. Um, (laughs) Holy shit. Well, there you go. That was uh, an afternoon of uh, research for you there. Um, nice to see you're uh, spending your time well. <laughs> I am got any work. So if anybody wants to save me from this tedium, uh, from this madness, <laughs> then please employ me in New Zealand uh, in the television industry. That would be great. So yeah, we've <laughs> talked a bit about um, Michael Wisher. 
as Davros. Yeah. Um, Roy Skelton nearly got the job, but was too busy with Rainbow. Thank God it went can to Can you Michael imagine Richard. him as Davros? That would have been nuts. I can just see him as Zippy, really, in the chair. Um, yeah. Our <laughs> Nida. Uh, 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 um, but, you know, the idea of getting a Dalek voice actor is not, you know, a bad one because obviously Michael no. Wish has done it before. And yeah, yeah, when yeah. he gets agitated and in a frenzied state, he mm. just does his Dalek voice. He's just which Dalek. Is just yeah, so yeah, yeah. cool. So yeah, clever. Very clever. Very clever. Um, but in the rest of it, like you say before, like he's got those asides. He's very measured. He's very assured. Mm. He apparently based those bits off of Bertrand Russell, the mathematician oh, right, okay. and yeah. um, logician guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Freelander comes off of another show in order to mold the mask uh, for Davros because he was so like, yes, I need to do this character. Yeah. And, you know, there are so many great moments with Davros in the story, but the the two that really leap out to me is obviously the conversation with the Doctor in part five Mm -hmm. about the virus because you do feel, you know, obviously the, the, the master is the Doctor's Moriarty, but in terms of being a scientific equal, Uh, although on opposite sides of the page. I don't think there's a better example of that between good versus evil than there is between the Doctor and Davros in that scene in part five. I mean, I always say that Davros is my favourite Doctor Who villain rather than Mm. monster. Um, And I think it's probably that because as, as good as the Master is, you know, the Master is... You know, he, he, he's a bit of a he's a bit of an idiot, and he's a bit daft, mm-hmm. and he can you know he can have his silly silly schemes. But Davros is just evil, and no matter you know when whenever he's portrayed on screen, and particularly on audio, you know his schemes are generally pretty messed up, and he just sees it in such a clinical way that it's just like well. You know, like take Revelation of the Daleks, you know, well, the world's starving, the universe is starving and mm. people are dying. Well, why wouldn't you feed your relatives to each other? Because <laughs> it just makes sense, you know. And like you said, those those moments with Tom and Davros, you know, those just continue throughout all of Doctor Who. You know, mm. one of the best things about a Davros story is when the Doctor and Davros get to have their little chats. Uh, and I mean, we've already talked about... Um, the witch is familiar. Uh, you know, the, the the stuff from that story that works is when it's just Peter Capaldi and Davros talking. Absolutely. Um, Up until the point he opens his fucking eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll forget, forget about that. That never happened. That never happened. Uh, yeah, he's just he, he's just so good. You, you for, for a character that is behind a mask. Hmm. I think every actor that's portrayed Davros, maybe not so much David Goodison, but every other actor that's portrayed Davros has always managed to project past the mask to the point where you sort of think, you know, you want to be watching scenes with Davros. Yeah. More so than anything else. You know, you're like, right, well, when's Davros going to come back? Because he's always got the best, the, the best material. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess you could you could debate whether or not should they have killed him off in Genesis. Um, would would Doctor Who have been better for it? Would his character have been better for it? No, um, do you know what? Because I, I think you 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 can only argue in that case that it's a case of diminishing returns with the character, and with yeah. the exception of David Goodison, 
who wasn't supposed to play Davros, but Michael Wisher no. was too busy um, treading the boards, darling. Um, you then get Terry Malloy, who I think is one of those rare examples in the show of somebody taking an established character that is done pitch perfect from the start yeah. and then builds on it because yeah. he takes Davros in directions that, you know, Michael Wisher is a superb actor, but he takes Davros in directions that only Terry Malloy could take Davros. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think, as you said, I, I would put him up there, I, probably above the master as, as a favourite villain in the series. But yeah. that's because he's got that longevity because he's been in so many great stories. Yeah. And you wouldn't have got that if Davros had been killed off at the end of Genesis. You know, I think they did allude to maybe shooting something where Davros is shown to have his eyes still blinking or his hand twitches amongst the rubble of the bunker. Okay. Um, and um, David Maloney was disappointed they lost that. But, yeah, you know... I suppose it does feel like a final end for Davros otherwise. Uh, but yeah. he always gets away. And that's the thing about the master as well that you like. is like, right, how's Davros going to get out of this? You know, when yeah. that girder falls on him in um, Stolen, End Journey's, uh, Stolen Earth Journey's End. So, you yeah. know, he's going to get out of there somehow. I, it's just going to happen. I remember at the time when so many obviously new fans were like oh you know it's a shame they killed him off it's a shame they killed him off and it's like you don't know this character he always comes back <laughs> always comes back i mean i still think one of the most brilliant little subtle pieces of of allusion to the fact davros is coming back in the show is remembrance when that dot is dropping yeah. at the bottom of the mothership and you don't yeah. they don't call attention to it if no. you were watching it on a crap crt monitor on broadcast you may not have even been able to see that yeah but it's such a great little thing to of, of course, Davros is coming back, obviously. And that reveal yeah. of him in Remembrance, God, we're casting our minds very far into the future. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that <laughs> reveal of him in Remembrance, he still carries that weight as a character because of yeah. the job they did establishing him here. You know, holy shit, it's Davros. He'll always yeah. come back. He'll always find a way to survive, even if it's mm. just a head. You know, yeah. he'll always be there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's that's just, why it's good that they didn't have that shot of Davros, like you said, you know, his hand twitching, whatever. whatever. Because mm. imagine the surprise for audiences uh, a few years later mm. when in Destiny of the Daleks, there's all this talk about, you know, and they're very careful about not saying, oh, you know, the Daleks are here for Davros in the, that first episode. They sort of skirt around it in the dialogue yeah. uh, until the very end. So yeah, imagine audiences surprised when they see him and he's like, oh shit, mm. you know, he's literally exactly as they left him, sat in that chair. Mm. Uh, and then the light comes on and the hand starts twitching. I mean, that's beautifully directed. That that's It's beautiful. Um, it's like a horror film. Um, a, another moment I love with Davros, and I think, you know, I don't know if they did it on purpose to kind of bring it full circle, but Ronson uh, prevents the Doctor and Harry being the first victim of the Dalek. And yeah. then subsequently ends up being the first victim of the Dalek yeah. later on. And yeah. that scene where he confronts the elites with with Garmin and stuff, and you know, right, I mean, he's got no way out of this now without, you know, enacting his plan, which is to use the Daleks to wipe out his own species mm. and uh, just have him and the Daleks yep. remain. And it's the bit where he goes, we, I will go on. And it's like, okay, the yes. mask has slipped. You know, it's like yep. such a lovely delivery from Michael Wisher that like, okay, that's it. He's cracked. Yeah. He's gone. There is no mm. coming back from this now. You're all yep. fucked. He flicks the switch and all the Daleks <clears throat> flood into the room and blast everybody to bits. And then also having that scene play out um, 
on the monitor in Davros's office with the yeah. Doctor and Harry and Sarah all looking around and watching that these people getting slain is yeah. just, it's really powerful, that bit. I think mm. that's one of the most effective moments in the show is in that episode is seeing yeah. um, their reaction to everybody getting blasted. Um, and I think that's another thing that works really well is that the way that those exterminations are directed and acted, yeah. you know, we've seen enough Doctor Who where people get shot with ray guns and they do like yeah. a pitiful fall over or whatever. And you sort of think, oh God. But in this story, there's clearly been a real discussion in rehearsals of like, right, when you get shot, this is yeah. the most painful thing you have ever experienced and you need to really sell it. And they do really sell yeah. it. I mean, it's the And everybody time else does as well. Like the, the way they yeah. shield their eyes shield from their the eyes, ray. Yeah. And, it's the, and it's the first time that you see a ray actually shooting ray out of the dark yeah, gun right. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cleverly thought out. You know, for, for a series that you think, you know, we've seen so many behind the scenes of Doctor Who's and they're like, we have no time to do anything or really think yeah. about stuff and we've just got to get on and do things. You know, a lot of thought went into this. Mm. Um, and I think that, I mean, David Maloney, you watch all of his stories and all of his stories are like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just masterfully done. It just really sells it. And I put in my notes, actually, talking about Ronson, I said something akin to, uh, is Ronson like the most important character in Doctor Who history? Because... Ooh. If he didn't jump in at that point and the Doctor yeah. was exterminated, well, the whole of Doctor Who history could be completely changed because True. Davros may have rose to power. You know, the Daleks would have been a force that grew and took over the universe. And, you know, maybe the Time War, the Time Lords would have had their asses kicked. But I suppose that then he is treated with that reverence because you don't see anybody getting blasted really up until that point. I know that the... Yeah. Um, the Daleks eventually go into the Thal city and they're blasting people left, right and centre. And I did also make in my notes, you know, one of the criticisms of this story from people is that it doesn't really feel like a Dalek story because yeah. the focus isn't on them. But I think yeah. that's, you know, obviously just because there's more interesting things going on, to be honest. Oh, definitely. Um, they're not really let off the leash until partway through episode five when they finally get into the Thal city and they're killing people. But yeah. then that's like par for the course, let's get back to the bunker, let's get back to yep. Davros and see what's going on. But I think you're right. I think Ronson is obviously key and he's there through the whole story, you know, showing mm. the Doctor and Harry the incubator room, yeah, breaking them out. Um, you know, you've got all these other um, members of the elite sort of referring to him as the guy who is mm. kind of rebelling first and foremost. Like Garmin is yeah. still at Davros's side. Yes. Um, basically through the whole story until right at the end when he stages his bloodless rebellion followed immediately by him going to a weapons cabinet and handing out weapons yeah. <laughs> which i think it's just like fucking come on whatever a stupid waste of human life and then starts passing guns out to people i know it's that like, annoyed me when i watched it the other night because that guy is literally going to get shot with a machine gun and then he yeah. shoots him uh which is a great fight scene that's really well mm. choreographed uh especially when he blasts that guy with a revolver and he's down. But yeah, for him to say like, oh, you know, what a waste of life. He's like, he was going to shoot your mate. He was going to literally mow him down. And also, you have been complicit in Davros's experiments. <laughs> like, you know, I think this is kind of all right by comparison, you know? Yeah. Um, 
similar to what you were saying with Ronson and him being, you know, one of the most important figures in Doctor Who history, I also have to ask the question, is Davros the last great invention of classic Doctor Who? Because I don't think anything else comes along after that that really makes the same impression, like from a villain perspective or, you know, established continuity about the Doctor. Um, yeah. You've got all the kind of main baddies established that will just keep coming back now for the next 15 years. Yeah. But that's kind of it. In terms of the evolution of the show, you've got all the big baddies in place. Once Davros appears on the scene, there's yeah. not really an attempt to kind of better that. No. Um, I mean, obviously you have stories like Pyramids of Mars, but then you have a character like Sutek, as brilliant as he is, and we've obviously talked about that at length. Mm. Um you know, he doesn't come back, at least never on television, um, mm. which, you know, might might be uh, a, a good thing. Um, so I think you're right, actually. I think there's there's never really a big bad. Um, and even when the new series do big bads, there's always the old series big bads. Yes, exactly. And, or, you know, you could say the Black Guardian, but he hasn't had, you know, anywhere near no. the same sort of impact no, or longevity, of you know. Because I, I think um, you know you could you could turn around to a person on the street and say Davros, and you know mm. I think you'd have more chance of someone going, oh yeah, he's that creepy guy who's like Alpha Dalek. Um, yeah. But if you said the Black Guardian, <laughs> you'd be like, what? Yeah. Mestor, huh? You know. Yeah. Um, we haven't even touched on Nida yet. Um, I mean, oh. played supremely by Peter Miles, not yeah. Dalekium, but Peter Miles, Peter Miles. Yeah. Um, his performance is just immense, even down to when he's sort of walking into rooms where there are car-led soldiers and the withering looks he gives them. He's mm. dressing them all down when, yeah. he, when he walks around a room. He is this sniveling, conniving little shit and he yeah. is firmly in Davros's pocket and you totally, you don't, they don't even need to say anything, but you just totally read into it that they have known each other for years and yeah. they have both been building to this. They've both been yeah. working their way up. Nida has obviously signed some kind of blood oath with Davros that mm. whatever happens, I will be by your side. I believe in what you're trying to do. He is such a bastard. And it's, but he, you can't take your eyes off him when he's on screen. Peter Miles is just, it's his best ever performance, I think. He's been in Doctor Who a couple of times, obviously. And, yeah. And he's um, always good. He's always good whenever he's he appears good. in Doctor Who. But this is just on another level um, of a performance. Uh, and, you know, even even the voice, it's, mm. he's al he almost sounds a bit like Davros. Yeah. You know, he's got They've that been same hanging around each other since uni, you know? Like, they yeah. obviously... <laughs> um, yeah, he's brilliant. And especially later on when... You have those little moments. It's such a clever performance where you sort of think, oh, you know, maybe maybe he's actually seeing the light and maybe he's beginning to see that Davros is, you know, a bit of a, a messed up character when he sort of says that, when Davros is like, oh, I'll just destroy all of the car leads in the bunker mm. um, or in the city, in the dome. Uh, and he sort of says, oh, you'd go that far. And you kind of think, oh, you know, he, he's going to turn, he's going to turn. And then when you see him go up to Ronson, um, uh, not Ronson, uh, up to Garmin. Uh, Garmin. And, Thank yeah, you. That's what I wanted to know. Oh, that is so brilliant. The way he just turns it on, it's amazing. Yeah. It is such a clever is performance. Is there something kind of 
affable about him, isn't there? When, when yeah. he sort of, but then when you watch he's it all again, smiles, knowing he's he? going to turn, and yeah. he goes, "Who can you trust? Who can you rely on?" Yeah. And you just know, he, you know, all he needs are those names, and yeah. they're all fucked. And he's yeah. done it all, all off of Davros's orders. Um, you know, it's a bit more, um, you know, obviously written in the text, but. And it's just part of making this world feel alive and feel like, you know, this is all connected and this is all happening is yeah. when they go into Davros's office and Davros is safe is only yeah. a level where somebody who isn't, you know, confined to a chair can operate it. And yeah. the doctor says, you know, Davros never goes anywhere without you, Nida. So you mm. must open the safe for him. And yeah. I'd be disappointed when the safe didn't open a bag of Coke and some porn mags didn't drop out <laughs> with the tape. But, you know... He is just, it's just so real, you know, like yeah. they, they are so beautifully crafted, those two. They are, yeah. it's, it's almost a shame that Nida does get offed, but yeah. when you, when you think of Davros, you know, he has to be the supreme leader. He has to be on his own. The Daleks yeah. are always going to, you know, blast anybody that they suspect mm. is, is going to get in their way of domination. And Nida has to die in the same way Davros has to die. Um, yeah. I'm almost a bit disappointed that Nida's death isn't really kind of dramatic because everybody yeah. else gets those deaths where they're kind of screaming and rolling around the furniture and stuff. And I think Nida gets like a bit of a blast and then he runs over to a console and kind of drags himself yeah. across it and then slides down a wall. But it's almost kind of like, it's almost kind of creepy the way he doesn't make a noise when he's shot, you know, he's just yeah. sort of... Because it's just, he's, it's, oh, it's, it's the shock, isn't it? He is. It's yeah. not just that he's been shot. It's the you know shit. I've I've been shot. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, what? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just brilliant. They are the one of the best sort of double acts in Doctor mm. Who history. Um, I mean, do you think Davros uh, in later stories he keeps a little picture of Nyder so. stuffed in his chair and he just reminisces think so. and thinks, ah, oh, I think you were good. I think on the anniversary of Nyder's death, he lights a candle for him. And yeah. a single tear trickles down from his from his eye, yeah. um, and he remembers the nights they shared uh, <laughs> in in post coital triste. Um, <laughs> uh, um, something else which is also masterful. I don't know if you have this many bangers in a row, especially for a six parter. But the cliffhangers in this story. Oh, you know, part superb. one, Sarah sees the Dalek gun test. Part yeah. two, Sarah falls off the scaffolding. I know people are a bit iffy about the freeze frame but i still think that I that mean, little flourish uh, of orchestra as she falls is just brilliant yeah i mean is it that's again is another david maloney um uh just a signature isn't it that we'll yeah. have a freeze frame on the cliffhanger uh and yeah it's a bit of a cheat but in the moment yes. it works incredibly well uh and it just you just think shit she's i mean that whole sequence is shot so well oh, it's amazing it's amazing and it's it's so horrible you know the car led guy stops her from falling and then gets shot and then he goes yeah. down it's really brutal i mean this this could just be a second world war film you know yeah. from like the 50s you know william hartnell <laughs> could turn up in this as a bloody yeah. soldier you know it totally. and, and you could shoot it in black and white and it would just be gritty and horrible that's um, what we need we need a zack schneider black and white version of yeah. this film, you know? Yeah, there we go. Someone someone make it happen. Do the, the black and white <laughs> cut of Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, the Nida cut. Has the Nida cut. Part four has, you will tell me. That was yeah. just amazing as well. 
And then yeah. part five, the, the doctor attacked by the Dalek embryo. Um, yeah. You know, Which wasn't even meant is, to be the cliffhanger, no. was it? it well, I, think, I think part three was supposed to be a Davros speech to end that part, but because it was under running, they then do the doctor getting electrocuted on right. the rocket silo. Yes. Um, but which is also really that, good. Well, yeah, which also works. Um, Tom's that, really good at pain acting. I think we've said oh, this yeah. before. I don't think anyone oh, with does Sutek, pain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he always sells it. Um, Cause yeah. it always looks like it bloody hurts. Um, it does. Yeah. And, and again, that's all shot from low down and really close up yeah. on his face, you know, um, but that that bit where the doctor comes out of the incubator room and the zoom into his mm. face as he's got this thing strangling yeah. him, you know, it's a great bit of acting again from Tom because he's yeah. just holding this thing up to his neck and, and yeah. is, you know, acting that it's strangling him. And is so is so epic a cliffhanger that when they release the Genesis Dalek action figure set, they give you yeah. a Khaled mutant to wrap around his neck. You know, yeah, it's brilliant. And I love the thing with that is that. Obviously, you never really quite see the contents of the incubators properly. No. It just looks like stuff, really. Yeah. Uh, and then when Tom comes out, again, you don't really see what the creature looks like. Um, I love that they did that in those early Dalek stories, mm. that you never quite got a glimpse of what was inside. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, only, it's only in the Five Doctors that you really see You really it. see it, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously now... In the new series, yeah. Daleks are opening their cases and sucking people inside themselves and God knows what else. Doing but... full bloody fucking soliloquies with their tops off, yeah. Yeah. Um, Can so I yeah, compare that... thee to a summer's day? <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously exceptional. But yeah. believe it or not, Matt, I've got a couple of things I want to say that I'm not too keen on in, with Genesis of the Daleks. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I think this is a Doctor Who story that... It is superb, and it is probably one of Doctor Who's finest. Mm. But there are, a, I mean, there's a couple of clunky bits. But yeah. I mean, honestly, but it's 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 very minor. It is minor. I mean, my 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 critiques are very minor. I suppose the biggest one for me, and it's to do with the with the rocket uh, sequence we were talking about earlier, is when Severin, who I think is a great little side character as well. Yeah. Um, when Severin gets up to the top of the rocket with Sarah you see this brilliant kind of, um, and it's just black drapes and, you know, um, uh, little bits of white card probably behind the black drapes, but you see the twinkling lights mm. of like a city in the distance. Yeah. And obviously you, we meet the members of the Khaled High Council at some point as well. NIDA yeah. refers to the Fourth Doctor and Harry as civilians. Yeah. Um, but you don't see any of that. And no. I think, you know, the fact that we just basically are contained to the militaristic side of the Khaleds and the Thals. I, it doesn't, I don't want to say it feels like a missed opportunity because this, I think this whole story is exceptional, but you could have almost had another four parts bolted onto this where you actually go and visit proper Khaled and Thal civilization and meet people. You know, I Davros establishes this world really oh, yeah. well. Yeah. There's a whole, you know, it's quite an opulent civilization with a class system and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing I think that's really missing from this. That is exactly what I was going to say, because obviously they make such a big deal of Davros betraying his people and killing all the people in the in the Khaled Dome. But you're like, we never see those people in the Khaled Dome. You know, they, no. they're just like an invisible number of people that may or may not be there for us, you know, as far as we're aware. Um, 
so yeah, it is a slight missed opportunity that we just don't at least glimpse a little bit about life in the Carlin Dome so we can experience, you know, how much of a big deal it is. I mean, if it was being made today, you know, you would 100% yeah. have a character <clears throat> that, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe they would have gone to the, you know, the Carlin Dome and met some people and, you know, yeah. then when the dome is destroyed, the impact of that would have really been felt. Um, yeah, that is from a from the, a story wise thing. That is, yeah, the only criticism I would have. Obviously, the only other problem is giant clams, but um, even then, giant not too bad. clams. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they decided to do that bit again, uh, <laughs> where all three of the TARDIS team. They got away with it the first time, but the second time you go, fuck, come on. I mean, obviously not. You know, this is obviously a bad idea. Um, I like that lovely bit of acting from Elizabeth Sladen where she just basically runs at it and then chickens out at the last minute and has to get pulled away. You know, that's yeah. a lovely bit of direction as well because obviously David Maloney knows there's no conceivable way that we're going to get her to trip up into these clams. So she yeah. has to sort of do some kind of mental bit of acting and physical work to try and yeah. get her near these clams so she can get pulled away. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really work. I think it would have been nice to see some more of Davros's creations as well. Obviously, we see the the back of the Ice Warrior costume as this yeah, kind of... Yeah, you know, the vent. Yeah, this crocodile thing. Um, but again, th that's another disconnect that I don't really get. Where What are they traversing when they're going through the wastelands? Because is it a petrified jungle because uh, there's kind of like um, pillars holding things up that are made out of brickwork. So I guess this is like an old part of the city that they're yeah, traveling so. through, but it's not really elaborated on. It would have been nice to actually kind of know where we are. Um, yeah. And also the fact that seemingly the Carleds and Thals can just walk between the domes really <laughs> yeah. easily. Like everybody <laughs> just seems to be able to get from one dome to another with no problem. Yeah, that's true. You know, you sort of, at the beginning, you feel like it's a real no man's land, but everyone yeah. is always turning up at each other's dome with, like, <laughs> with relative ease. Speaking of, uh, and we mentioned Betan earlier, she's the only other female character I in know, this yeah. And yeah. was originally written as a bloke um, really? in the script. Yeah, wow. and David Maloney's like, you know, Elizabeth Sladen's got to have a mate on set, I'm sure, like, we have to write in you know, a woman yeah. to be part of this cast as well. Yeah. Um, but she feels very redundant, you know, like you've got mm. Severin. It's almost like, could you have had the the car led that helps Sarah up the scaffolding that gets shot? It's like, it might as well have just been him. Um, yeah. And then considering the fact, the scene where the doctor leaves Betan on the front lines with Severin, and yeah. then he goes into the wastelands and then immediately bumps into Harry and Sarah there where they have their second confrontation with the clams. It, it's almost like, well, why couldn't he have just bumped into them a bit earlier? You know, yeah. she just feels like a bit of a redundant character, I think. Yeah, um, very much so. I, I think Harry as well uh, is just sort of there. Um, yeah. It's obviously good to be able to split the team between the two domes, but you've only got two places that you need to be at any one time. Like, you may as well have just had the Doctor and Sarah or just the Doctor and Harry. Yeah. And so much of the story is being told through the likes of Davros and Nida through parts of it. You know, the real nitty gritty yeah. of the power play and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some lovely character moments, you know, obviously the bit in the minefield at the start. And, you know, the fourth Doctor is sort of beginning to beginning to soften, isn't he, a little bit to Harry. 
uh, when mm. he s- s- saves him from getting blown up. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, otherwise, he isn't really used an awful lot. Like you said, he's just sort of there, t- dragged along. Um, mm. Sarah has far more to do uh, getting in with the with the Thals and all that stuff. I wonder, you know, as we said earlier, this was written um, when Barry Letts and Terence Dix were still um, steering the ship. Maybe yeah. Terry Nation wrote it with just the Doctor and Sarah. Um, well, I think the plan was me. was always that the Doctor after John was going to be an older Doctor. And exactly, the plan was so he'd that, need the younger guy with him. He, yeah, so I imagine that we could have probably seen Harry breaking into the rocket to try and save mm. Sarah. That probably would have been him. Um, and then obviously Tom was, you know, fit and young and yeah. could do it himself. Absolutely. Um, I'm not really sure how the Thals progress from the militaristic grunts that we have here to the beautiful models that we get in the Daleks. Um, yeah. You know, Planet of the Daleks is a bit of a halfway point in that they are still militaristic, but they do look yeah. like models. Um, yeah. But I, it's just a bit of a disconnect, I think, there. Um, I don't know if... They obviously haven't considered that, because why would they? Um, yeah. The episode that came out, you know, what, 12 years before, and nobody's ever going to see it again, so who gives a fuck? We can do no, what we want. They're not um, going to see it again. They're, <laughs> they're never going to see it again. Um, I wish we found out a bit more about the mutos and that sort of, like, society... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Severin's a great character, um, but we don't really know much about them besides the fact they're savages in the wastelands, you know, mm. sc- scrapping for food. Yeah. Um, and the only other bit is I think that the... I, well, firstly, I think the ending of this story is obviously epic. And yes. thank God that the, the one time that the Dalek lights actually flash on cue, they did it for the big <laughs> close-up at the end. Yeah. Um, but... I think that the Daleks turning on Davros isn't really signposted. Um, they just kind of turn on him and develop autonomy of yeah. thought out of nowhere. And it, you almost feel like when they're um, uh, blasting Thals in the Thal Dome, there maybe could have been a conversation between mm. those two Daleks in the corridor where yeah. you sort of get the suggestion maybe they're going to start looking out for themselves now. But that yeah. doesn't really happen. And then... The other because thing the, as well, it would have been nice, wouldn't it, to get a real sense of them conniving. Yeah, um, their duplicitous nature. Because, you know, Nida yeah. does suggest earlier on in a lovely bit of dialogue, which I think is, is you know, you think of it, it's really kind of creepy, is yeah. how unstable and erratic the Dalek embryos still are. And that yeah. Davros is putting those in that state into these travel machines. Yeah. Um, so I suppose you do get a bit of a hint, but it's not really signposted. The other no. thing I think as well is the wrap-up is very quick um, with them getting back together and holding onto the time ring and disappearing. And the doctor's assessment that, you know, it's almost like the Batman that can't live without Joker, you know, um, Mm. thing that they have to always exist, coexist. One can't exist without the other. There's a bit of that in there, but the doctor's assessment that, you know, even though they will go out there and destroy countless civilizations, something good must come out of it. And it's like, is, that's what you fucking drawn out of it. You know, that's like the the, the bit we're sending off of a, the, the audience with. Bit of a leap, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, but that, that that's all I have to say in terms of negative points about it, I think. Yeah, I want to know what happens to Tom Baker's duffel coat between flying from Scarrow <laughs> to another beacon. He probably had to feed it to a clam. 
to yeah. you know try and try, oh no shit because he loses it in well look Matt last year we saw a doctor regenerate their entire outfit so maybe that's True. just something that happens you know yeah maybe the trans mat on another beacon just doesn't like duffel coats maybe maybe um obviously tom is supreme in this tom you oh, know yeah. you obviously really get the impression he has tried everything before resorting to genocide which he yeah. never actually carries out you know no. like it's the dalek rolling over the um the wires that does it. Yeah. And even then he only sets their development back by a thousand years. And also yeah. if you think about it, because they turned on Davros, they're never that effective ever again, because they're always fighting against their own. The Daleks yeah. split into two different factions. I yeah. love the illusion in one of John Peel's, I think it's John Peel's books that the Dalek that blasts Davros at the end of this story is the Dalek that goes on to become the Dalek emperor oh, yeah. um, is a lovely touch. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that might be it, really. I can't think of anything else. No, not really. I mean, I think the legacy of this story, I think one of the cleverest things that the legacy of this story has done is obviously the Time War stuff. I think Russell was very clever yes. in taking this and going, right, if we're going to have a war between the Time Lords and the Daleks, where are we going to pin all this on? Well, let's pin yeah. it on Genesis of the Daleks. Um, and it's interesting sort of looking back on it now uh because i guess like when you i mean like i remember watching it as a kid you know the time lord turns up and says all right we want you to destroy the daleks and it feels a bit weird and you're like oh okay but fine but i think now with the benefit of hindsight obviously even though terry nation didn't plan for this but mm. within the lore of the series you know you sort of watch that now and think oh boy this is gonna this story is going to have such a huge impact um, mm. for the rest of the series. Uh, and again, like very cleverly how Russell then tied in all the other Davros stories in as part of that with resurrection and, you know, trying to assassinate the high council and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I mean, what a story to pin all that on because it's just so bloody good. It's just brilliant. It is. It's, I mean, Terry Nation's netting, you know, £300,000 in today's money per year for having mm. invented the Daleks. Yeah. And you could pin it all on this one story. It's like, bro, I'll give you that money myself. You know, <laughs> um, it, it again, as you say, it does set up, obviously, retro retroactively, so mm. much of the conflict that we have now between the Doctor and, and his arch enemies. Yeah. Um, it does all kind of feel like all of the animosity towards the Doctor from the Daleks is pinned here. Davros mm. obviously comes out of this and, and this conflict and is the ultimate baddie. Yeah. Um, it is a linchpin in which a lot of Doctor Who revolves around to the extent, yeah. as we said earlier, that Stephen Moffat dedicated an entire series opener to answering a question posed, do I have the right in this yeah. story? And, uh, you know, if a child was pointed out to be totally evil, and all that sort of stuff. It all just comes from this story. Um, we, we spoke a bit before um, in a previous episode when we did The Five Doctors about those episodes that everybody just accepts, okay, well, that's obviously great. Um, that's obviously one of the best Doctor Who stories. I mean, this just is, again, you know, yeah. um, there's it, a reason it tops, nearly tops, um, most polls. Mm. Um, it's maybe a bit overly long. Um, 
I, when we put out the tweet asking what people thought, nearly everybody was either, you know, yes, it's the best Doctor Who story ever, or it's overrated. I think you can probably only say it's overrated from the perspective that it's a bit of a slog to get through if you're not used to a six-parter. But yeah. it's probably the most watchable six-parter, I'd say. I was going to say, you know, when I watched it, I think I watched it over two evenings, and, you know, there was no point where either of us, when we were watching it, went, you know, oh, it's mm. at this point in the story and it sort of it slows down to a crawl. It, it keeps moving. It keeps its momentum up. Um, and I think everything that it does just helps build that world and flesh out those characters uh, in such a lovely way. And again, it, it's down to the 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 actors who are just so committed mm. to it. Uh, I think they just knew, didn't they? I think they knew that they had something that was pretty golden um, yeah. to work with. Uh, so they were like, "Well, look, shit, you know, let's let's do our best and sell it as much as we can." Mm, absolutely and uh on that i think that's genesis the daleks tied up yeah with a nice little bow it, you know we, we we wanted to do a couple of big stories for the 60th anniversary year i couldn't think yep. of many bigger than genesis to do um mm -hmm. uh, for, you know for good reason it, it stands up as one of the best doctor who stories of all time it just really yep. is exceptional um next time uh we're not coming back to earth with a massive bump but mm -hmm. maybe a bit of turbulence uh, we're going to do Planet of the Ood uh, with uh, the Tenth Doctor and Blige. Donna Noble. Oh no, Planet of the Ood! Oh, sorry, oh I Matt, thought you were thinking of Planet of the Dead. Oh, sorry, no, 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 Planet of the Ood. That's that's no. good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, Planet of the Ood is fine. Planet of the Dead. I was like, oh, why are we watching that? No, Planet of the Ood. Oh, I like no. Planet of the Ood. Don't worry, don't worry. I mean, we could have done Planet of the Dead if we wanted to do a specials special. Um, yeah. in the in the run up to um, ten two returning as people are now calling him the fourteenth Doctor, um, right. <laughs> but no, I think yeah, Planet of the Ood is where we're going to head to next. Um, if you enjoy the podcast uh, and you want to have more of it, go over to the Patreon because uh, if you pledge three pounds a month, it becomes a weekly podcast rather than fortnightly, mm. um, yeah. and you can enjoy the uh, commentary which was just released of. Uh, just who on earth is Tom Baker which needs to be seen to be believed um, yeah. and the other day we recorded uh, our commentary for Wartime starring uh, John Levine John Levine uh, and Michael Wisher which, so uh, and if, Michael you Wisher. if you haven't had enough of Davros uh, look no further and there's a couple of lines in there which I think he's been told can you just do it like Davros yeah he um, goes he goes quite Davros out. at one point doesn't he he does um, so that's worth uh, jumping on board for. Just released a Q&A as well, which was lots of fun. And you can yep. join the Review of Death Discord as well and uh, keep the podcast going. Yeah. Well, in that case, uh, I guess that's uh, it's time for us to sign off. So we'll see you next time for Planet of the Ood, not Planet of the Dead, as I so foolishly <laughs> thought was said. Um, Planet of the Ood. Uh, our first time we've done a nude story. Oh, no, we did Doctor's Wife, but that's not really a nude story, is it? It's nah, just it's not it. a nude story. Um, and and so, Flux. And, oh, yeah, and Influx. Uh, so join us then for some more David Tennant. We've done a lot of David Tennant recently. Yeah, I know. Um, thank you very much to the folk that were pointing out on the Review of Death Discord that we haven't really done a lot of second or first Doctor stories. Um, no. Or most Doctor stories, for that matter. So I, I will definitely do a first Doctor a little bit later down the line. We've definitely got a second Doctor coming up after Planet of the Ood. 
for which we may be joined by a special guest. Oh, but yes. Yeah, we yeah, are yeah. definitely going to be looking at some more uh, black and white stories as the 60th anniversary progresses. Um, but maybe, Very yeah, nice. we'll take a bit of a break from the 10th Doctor um, as we come up to uh, the yeah. specials later this year, because he's going to be all over our screens. That's true. And Donna. Um, and Donna. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's nice that we're going to revisit that little era just as a, yeah. a, a little uh, taster for what we've got to come later this year. So, yes, thank you all for listening, watching and everything else. If you enjoyed this, let us know in the comments below. Like, subscribe, tell your friends and we shall see you all next time for Planet of the Ood. Goodbye. Bye bye. Do I have the right Super. to watch Planet of the Ood? <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> That shite. If I touch these two ood tentacles together <laughs> and titillate it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>